Hello and welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. This show is all about providing some spiritual nourishment through a weekly casual conversation over a cup of coffee. And this week, I've got a fantastic conversation in store for you. I just finished recording with my friend Alan Richards, who has been a United Church minister for many years. Alan is now retired from full-time ministry, but very active in our church here in Basha, and he takes care of all of our pastoral care. So this week, I thought we would talk about what pastoral care is all about, but this conversation ended up being so much more than that. Uh, We got into Alan's story of being called to ministry and how he became a minister in the first place, which was really interesting to hear about. And I was just blown away by how many insights he had about ministry in general, pastoral care as a a specific type of ministry. And, you know, as always, we just got talking about life and some of the big questions that we all ask ourselves. So I know you're going to enjoy this one. Thanks again for joining us. And here is Alan Richards. Alan, welcome to the Six Ways from Sunday podcast. You're no stranger to the podcast as a listener and as part of our faith community all around, but this is the first time that you've sat down at the microphone with me, so thank you for doing this. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for the invitation. <laughs> it is different to be the other side. but Yeah, I'm excited about this. It's a cool this. project. So, yeah, okay. yeah it's, I mean, every episode is fun and is exciting in its, in, in its own way, but we've been friends for quite a long time. Uh, we've known each other for over 10 years. So yeah. it's great to just sit down over a cup of coffee with you and to be able to, well, I'm just looking forward to hearing more of your story, really. And I've got a few questions f- in mind uh, for our conversation today, but we're okay. going to be talking a lot about pastoral care sure. and kind of doing something that's somewhat similar to this, sitting down with someone probably often over a cup of coffee yeah. and and doing uh, a type of ministry that is a little more intimate, a little more about connection with uh, an individual person versus ministry yeah. that's right. out to the masses through a podcast or out to the masses through YouTube or just sitting, standing at the front of a church at the pulpit on a Sunday morning. So quite the opposite. Yeah. There, I mean, there aren't there just so many forms of ministry or of caring and for and connecting with with others. Yeah, and it keeps it keeps growing, and and so. I find most of my experience has been at a congregational level, you know, a group of people. So it may be Sunday mornings, it may be a Bible study, maybe a board meeting, committee meeting. Right. So there's always that with an agenda, worship or committee. But um, you're going to see my hands move. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will. No one else will. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's that. There's level that structure kind of. There's that structured thing yeah. with. Um, and there's lots of interesting things, dynamics there, and group dynamics, and caring for people in, in that kind of context. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, the, the traditional one of one-on-one visits, and sometimes some family visiting, or couples. And so that's a, a whole different uh, game, as you you call it. It's a lot more intimate, a lot closer, a lot riskier for people. Mm. Um very traditional for um, an older generation where that was the thing. Yeah. Um, much less expected um, younger f- families. So it tends to be more crisis oriented when it gets uh, to that um, level. Yeah. But not always. And then, yeah, the whole new thing of, of going online and all the various <laughs> media. And, and part of me wonders, you know, since this is edge funded, like, how do you put pastoral care into six ways from Sunday or something like that? But that's another mm, conversation. Yeah, a whole other <laughs> tangent. So to back up a little bit then and to give a bit of context for for people who maybe don't know you as well as I do, um, I'd love for you to share a little bit of your story. So you're, um, you've spent a number of years in ministry. I'd yes. love to hear a little bit about that and kind of how you got into that and then how you got from that career in ministry to now being our pastoral care support person uh, at the Basha United Church here here in Basha. So how did you get here? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how far we yeah. need to rewind, but yeah. did, did you have like a, a point in time in your life where you just thought like you felt called to ministry? Yeah, it, I think it had been growing since I was in high school. 
we I went to high school in Ontario and we used to have things like vocation classes, guidance classes and look it was ridiculous. We'd look at different occupations, but that was like file cards, you know, and you pull those yeah. out and no contact with people. But I was involved with the church and that had become quite meaningful and I had a really fascinating minister who worked with a with us as teens in a teenage conversation. He also had a really cute daughter, but uh, <laughs> so so that kind of led into that direction. But then uh, we family moved to Calgary. I went to University of Calgary, and Bob Thompson was the minister at Parkdale United, and and uh, he gave a sermon one day about how God touches you on the shoulder. Hmm, it's kind of interesting. And uh, then one day, because I was part of a young adults group, one day just after that, he, he was working late, and I was in the hallway, and he says, do you ever think that it's your shoulder? <laughs> so we started talking after that, and one thing led to another. It wasn't, you know, bang out of the blue, but a sense that that could be a way of doing things. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, um, there was a double appeal, I think. One was intellectual. Um, he lent me some books that later became my textbooks um, on introduction to New Testament and to mm. Old Testament. And I was just fascinated by that stuff in history of the church and some contemporary stuff. And that fascinated me and it appealed to a certain part of me. And then I was part of this young adult group Mm -hmm. And it was a very intimate group, a lot of sharing and mutual support. Some of us were university, some were at, um, not McEwen, Mount Royal in, in Calgary. Mm -hmm. and some were working. And, the and you were at University of Calgary at the and time? I was at University of Calgary, yeah. And so we used to get together weekly, and I mean, this was the late 60s, right? So we got our beads and our guitars. But, um, and very informal worship. Like we sat on the chancel steps, cancel, you know, candlelight yeah. or whatever, and, cool. and have conversations. But then when somebody was in trouble or whatever, we had one guy living with chronic depression, and we were just there. So that gave me another sense of ministry. But I, I guess that's pastoral care kind of thing yeah and so I never thought of it as exclusively for the trained professional minister mm. because there was that young adult group and we we're all over the place what we're doing mm -hmm. but we could do that so yeah so those two things kind of worked together and I thought mm. yeah so at some point you took the plunge and yeah. went off to Theological College. Yeah, and w yeah. so which school did you go to for Went that? to St. Andrews in Saskatoon. Okay. Um, where Robin went, yeah. but uh, very different in those days. Um, and that appealed to me because its focus was ministry on the prairies. Ah. I had looked at Toronto, Emmanuel, the big college. Yeah. That, you know, anyone comes out of that thought they were pretty big. Um, and I'd looked at the Vancouver School of Theology. There you were on the coast. But that attraction of St. Andrews to ministry on the prairies and also to what would later become political theology, that is thinking theologically but in terms of social issues and social structures oh. and, um, and change and changing issues. So. Yeah, what some people might now call kind of left-wing. <laughs> <laughs> so those things pulled it together. Yeah. Um, I had graduated from high school, went to university, and then went into theological college. So where was your first placement <laughs> out of theological college? Um, well, I spent a... I took two two years at the college, and then took a year out and spent it on a small island in Newfoundland. Wow. And um, that in itself is a long story, but the long and the short of it was I was out there, had an opportunity to be 
um, a lay minister supervised. And I thought, yeah, I've had two years of this. What's this going to be like? And in the end, I decided, yeah, I'll do this, but not with the Newfoundland Church. That was very conservative Methodism at the time. It's mm. changed. but So I came back to the prairies, and right. it was cool. Hmm. The first place was Edgerton, next door to Wainwright. Okay. And uh, that was funny because all oh, the process we had those days. So you go through, you finish your degree, you get a psychological assessment, you get interviewed by the board, you're going to articulate your theology and wow. what you think. You've got to do all that stuff. Yeah. And then there was a placement committee because at that point, that's the only way you started was placement. Right. And so then I met with a placement committee and they talked about things and and then the decision was, okay, we might send you, what would you think about Edson up in, you know, out in that area? Mountains? Yeah, love it. <laughs> and then you don't you, get... Were you, sing, were you a single man at the yeah, time? Yeah, I was and, single. Okay, so yeah. the, you didn't have to factor... I didn't have to factor, which was... Well, at that point, too, it's interesting. Most ordinance were male, and most of us were single. There were some who were married, and we were getting more women in, in theology. So that system began to have a crunch as the years went. So right. I guess when I was doing it, I was ordained in 76. I think the United Church, anyway, was in a shift that was happening, and I was right on the cusp of that. Got it. Um, on the, you know, the old side, we're still doing it, but then very soon after it changes. Hmm. So when Robin gets to St. Andrews, it's a whole different right. ball game. Yeah. So, yeah, but at that point, we went to Alberta Conference. The settlement committee would make a report, and there'd been no consultation to say, Alan, you're going to go here. And it just announced, yes. Uh, Alan Richards will be placed at Edgerton, Alberta. Wow. <laughs> Besides, Edgerton, where, is Edgerton? where is Edgerton? Pack your bags, Alan. <laughs> so that's where I went. And, Crazy. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was. And so, and then uh, I'm sure you had some other moves in, along the way, but you ended up in Camrose. I ended up in Camrose. In uh, what? So how many years were you in Camrose? 2007 to 16, so nine years. Okay. Nine years. And that was your last place of, of yeah. full-time ministry. Yeah. So, so what was it like to, I mean, skipping over many years of of, uh, of being a full-time minister and what that was like, what was it like to to kind of close that long, that long chapter? Well, there was a, a period in between when I stepped out, um, when I went and went back to school, got a PhD, and ended up teaching at Red Deer College then, okay. Red Deer University now. Um, so that was a timeout, which actually was pretty cool because I had been, like I said, high school, BA at university, theological training, yeah. ministry. Straight into it, yeah. So I'd always been, my work, except for some summer jobs, my work had always been from the front end of the church, kind of. Mm -hmm. Then I end up teaching, and I'm sitting in the pew. <laughs> and, yeah, I went to Bible study group. We had a fantastic, I was, we lived in Lacombe, and the minister there, Ross Smiley, was fantastic, and he tried some innovative things. And uh, we had an interesting discussion with, about Marcus Borg and the heart of Christianity and so on. So to be part of that group, but not as the minister, hmm. but part of the group that we're talking and searching. So I sometimes think that that was my second form of pastoral education hmm. and teaching students and knowing some of their back stories um, and that whole approach to getting sense of what people were up against trying to change careers. So then when I came back to... 
goes to Camrose. Um, and that I came with that with a whole different perspective. Yeah, like totally different perspective. perspective. So in leaving the ministry, were you... Were you making that choice to get out of it, to get away from it, or was it more of being drawn to that uh, further education and other opportunities? When I left Camrose? Yeah, when you went yeah. back for your PhD, was it like, oh, I've, I've had yeah. enough of this, I need to get out of ministry for a while? Or? Yeah, I was at that time in Kamloops. And, oh, okay. And that was a large downtown church in fantastic things and they, they've done fantastic things since um, in it was a multiple staff and that arrangement was a senior minister and an associate so I was associate but that was also 1988 happened and the whole debate around uh, ordination of uh, gays and lesbians at that time mm -hmm. as we talked about it. Um, and it was exciting, and it was painful, and I didn't know what to do with that um, because there I was in a congregation, and some of the folks that were important in the congregation were so against it, and the language was just so awful. And I thought, I, I couldn't square that. Mm. Um, so that was one piece. I ended up doing work with abused women. It was by accident, somebody coming and seeking me out. Um, when we talk about pastoral care, all I did was basically listen and, and provide a safe place to tell her story. So she told somebody else and they came. <laughs> oh, wow. And I ended up taking some training at the BC Justice Institute. So there I am with lawyers and judge and doctors looking at the cycle of domestic violence. Wow. So I ended up doing some of that and after a couple of years just like that was too much like to hear those stories. Oh and, that would be yeah. so difficult. So those two things came together and I thought eh, I'd like to do something different. Yeah. So and I aimed for community college but that meant getting more degrees. <laughs> wow well it sounds like Really, you, you, this long list of experiences created the well-rounded minister that I came to know when I first met you <laughs> around 10 years ago or so. And I think, yeah. well, you and Robin together married Kelly and I. Yes. So yeah. that, and I think that was really when I was first getting to know you was because of Robin reaching out to you and, you know. That's right. Because I, I was ordained. He wasn't. He wasn't quite ordained yet. He didn't yet. have the license. That's so right. Came with the license. Yeah. And, so that with the yeah. two of you together, it was such a great way to do the wedding. Yeah. And you were and, such a neat couple. It was a, <laughs> and that outdoor wedding and yeah, yeah that was beautiful. Yeah. Hot, hot day, but it was, yes. a, yeah, it was a beautiful wedding. So, um, Moving then from w when you left Camrose and then doing full-time ministry there and coming and joining our congregation here in Basha and then finding a new role through pastoral care, uh, let's let's explore that and kind of tease up that apart a little bit. And um, I mean, it's, it just seems like you couldn't be a more perfect person for doing what you're doing now. Hmm. What do you like about it? Or what? maybe a better starting point is just, what is pastoral care and what is that what is that role so for me that's not necessarily where everybody would come at um, f there is a professional element but that's not at the core of it and so the core is that wonderful meme i sent you with charlie brown in, and uh, snoopy sitting there um, and it's about being there for a person and with them. So for me, it has to do with um, careful listening and giving that person a sense that it's safe to talk, safe to be themselves, it's okay, um, which is a tough thing to do, um, tough thing for men to do in particular, although I don't think it's exclusively men, because we want to go and fix the problem. Yeah, tell me about it. I'm yeah. terrible for that, Alan. Yeah. No, just uh, just yeah. speaking of Kelly and I and our marriage, <laughs> just go ask Kelly. It's, yeah, it's such a knee-jerk reaction to say, oh, you have this problem. Well, okay, well, what can we do? 
uh, well, have you tried this? Or can I do this for you? Yeah. And yeah. Yeah. And then after you've had some years of working with people to say, you know, this is what you need to do. Yeah. Well, right. the more experienced you are and the more you've seen that cycle of whether it's someone who's stuck in a cycle of abuse or a cycle of depression or addiction or, yeah. or just bad luck. And they've, you know, they're facing whatever circumstance you've probably seen something somewhat similar along the way. If you've done this for many years, the, the impulse to offer that as well, this might work for you. How do you squash that? How do you, um, how do you try to, you know, ignore that, that urge to, to offer solutions? Yeah. Uh, with a lot of care. Um, so I need to remind myself when I'm in this pastoral care relationship, it's not about me. Mm. It's about this person and what does this person need to be listened to, a chance to tell their story. Um, sometimes they're searching for a way to put into words, so to listen very carefully to the words used and what's coming in between and um, the strategy of kind of saying, what. Well, are you saying or what I hear you saying is, and then there's a, an interesting feedback there. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. No, it's not quite. So it's a way of helping the person find for themselves how to tell their story. Right. And that's core. That's where it really is. Um, and they're going to have to find their solution. Um, but what... It may be like, how can we put some pieces in, in place? Uh, so mm. here's somebody who needs some professional counseling that I don't have the skills. I'm not a social worker. I'm not a psychological. Right. But that's what this kind. They need that kind of level of care that I can't give. So how to arrange that? So those women I was working with, how to get them in touch with the people that will help them. Yeah, um, and so those are. Those are parts of their solution, or those are some solutions to parts of their problem, maybe is yeah. a better way of saying it. Yeah. But it's, so I guess it sounds like you're saying that sometimes there are some some tools that need to come out of the toolbox, and you can help provide yeah. that or suggest those things. Yeah. But the listening part of that pastoral care support is not about bringing a toolbox, knowing that, okay, my job is to pull out the tools and make sure that the problem gets fixed. Yeah. Your, your core purpose in that process is to simply allow them the space. That's right. Yeah. And, and to feel heard. And to feel heard and to know that they've been heard. Because I think there's a big difference. Hmm. I think you and I have this normal human experience. We share it. But did you really hear me? Yeah. And when I get confirmation that I have been heard, Oh, there's an incredible change at that. Right. And sometimes that's it. enough. You, you really feel it. Yeah. Yeah. Or there's something that the person says, you know, they heard, they got it, they yeah. understand it. Um, so sometimes that's enough just to know that somebody knows and it's, you know, they've had some support in that. Yeah. And 90% of pastoral care is that. There's no huge crisis that has to be solved right. and it's just they feel lonely or they feel unsure of how to express themselves or you feel like this is insignificant what am I doing with this problem like, you know, yeah downplaying um, downplaying it or well that must happen a lot to the point where people wouldn't even reach out in the first place and I'm sure there's I mean all of us have stuff we struggle with and yeah. all of us could use a pastoral care visit yeah I'm sure once a week at least <laughs> to keep you very busy but for the for the people who do decide that you know what I think I'm dealing with something here that I need I need to sit down with somebody what, um, in your experience, what brings a person to that point where they're willing to admit to themselves enough that they're struggling, that they will actually reach out? Because we do have a culture that even though we've come a long way just in the time that I've been an adult, yeah. I've seen a lot of change, we still yeah. do have a lot of um, phobia around admitting that we're struggling or admitting that you might need help. Yeah. So how do people... Bridge, cross that that bridge. Yeah, I, I'm always amazed at 
people's courage, even they don't know that that's what it is. Mm. Um, and I, we have this phobia about admitting that we need something, if, that somehow we're weak in a society where you're you know, only the strong get ahead. You know, if you're poor, you're lazy, and if you didn't make it at school, it's because whatever. You're stupid. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and, all the stories and I think that we one make of up. the biggest plagues is the low self-esteem stuff. People just yeah. don't think highly of themselves. So somewhere something prods that. I think there's a couple of ways. One is, yeah, there's some kind of crisis that happens and somebody says, I just need to talk to somebody about this. This is not how I want things to be, but where can I go? Mm. And usually that's somebody within a church connection. So, well ministers are supposed to be able to help you so that's that's a connection sometimes it's from outside because they, they come to a church for a funeral or they've come for somebody's wedding and they just got a sense that okay this is not like going to a social worker or a clinical psychologist right um, there's something less formal less frightening less frightening um, so sometimes that happens, but that those are things where there's been a death, there's been a loss, there's is something that's I I can't do it alone anymore, and that becomes the catalyst, and that becomes the catalyst. Most of the time, though, it isn't that. It's somebody who just kind of says, "Well, why don't you come and have a cup of coffee with me?" So it's it's an, it's yeah. staged as more of a social. Like that's all. Let's have a it's visit. not staged. That's how it's felt. It's like, without an awareness that something prodded, like, hey, I'll come and have a cup of coffee. Right. Uh, and it may even be, hey, if you've got some time, why don't you drop in sometime? And hmm. I think there's, well, religiously, I think there's a spirit that's nudging and prompting. But I think sometimes it's there's something at work here, but I haven't noticed that. I just so there's this, I, I don't want to go into unconscious stuff, but well, I was sense. just thinking the same thing. There's this huge diff. There's this huge. Um, we have we have our conscious thoughts, and then there there's this subconscious mind that is, from what I've learned about it over the last several years, it's supposedly ten times as more powerful yeah. as your conscious thoughts, and it there it's running you all That's the right. time. So yeah. there's. Like, how often do you do something and you realize, why did I, why did I just do that? Why did yeah. I just react that way to that person? Why did I just, why did I just invite that person for coffee? Yeah. <laughs> like, you do it, and then right after, it's like, oh, yeah, I guess that was me that just said that. But it, you didn't really like, premeditatively think about it. No. You just, we find ourselves impulsively, doing things, mm -hmm. saying things, reacting, acting, all the time. Yeah, and so. Yeah, the, it's interesting. You're, the language you're using, I love the um, thinking of it as the spirit moving you, but also, I don't know if it's an if it's a or or if it's just a different like if it's two separate things or if it's two ways of describing the same thing. That in your subconscious, below the below your conscious awareness, you are at work, you know, bringing something mm -hmm. into being, uh, yeah. causing something into action. Um, is that your spirit at work? Is it your subconscious thoughts? I don't know how to describe it. Well, one psychological, you know, the science of psychology language to describe it, and another is a faith or religious or theological language. Yeah. And even for me, in that theological language, it's a, it's a partnership. It's it's you know, when spirits moving, it's always a collaborative kind of thing, um, and that's a really awesome thing. But I, I think maybe people are feeling a bit lonely, you know, come and have a cup of coffee. Mm, mm -hmm. uh, or they're feeling not connected. Uh, most of the stuff I do is church people, and they're feeling like, nah, they haven't heard what's going on, they haven't been able to come for a while, um, or they're just not feeling connected with that community. And, you know, Mm. Alan, you're part of that. You're the pastoral visitor. You're your minister. Mm -hmm. Come, come and bring that connection. So it's usually people who are already aware that this is something that you do. That you're you're available as a, as a pastoral care. Yeah. Um, in, support in Dashaw, that's what's what's happening because that's 
it's been I'm made not the minister but it's been made available and, yeah. and talked about and yeah. it's there on the newsletters and right and, and stuff on the bulletin yeah. each sunday and yeah. yeah and sometimes it works the other way sometimes the initiative comes from me which has always been part of the professional aspect so you go out and you just go and meet people, see people where they are. Mm -hmm. um, for me, it was often at the hospital because that was a key piece of visiting when I was at Camrose. Yeah, and so someone, you know, that's always a kind of crisis. And you walk in. Well, sometimes it's just hi, thinking of you. How are you doing? You know, mm -hmm. eh, okay, thanks for coming. Yeah, and then sometimes that's enough that grief or fear or hesitation or wondering what the heck is going on in their medical journey. Um, it's that business of wanting someone to listen to you. And the doctor's professional and they doctor, she or he has got the job and, you know, but they don't have time to do that. And the nurses are wonderful, but they're run off their feet. They don't have time yeah. just to sit and listen yeah. to me talk. Although my experiences, some do. Um, so someone who just comes and it's not family and so right. you don't have to, have to worry about what you what you're saying and um, sometimes I need to reassure them that it's confidential sometimes they ask you know don't let I don't mean that anyone else will hear this kind of thing yeah um, but so that's uh, an outing there was um, a person that I got to know in Camrose um, through Augustana and um, I invited me to go have a drink at the pub so we did and I had to be careful that it wasn't the drink that was loosening up <laughs> but things started to happen he started to talk and then we were able to do meeting outside the pub and have the conversation mm -hmm. and then we moved to another stage I figure we went back to the pub but now there was a kind of relationship that we could work with right and um, so it looks very different and very yeah. individual with each yeah. Each person yes. that you connect with. Yeah. You must hear some incredible things and some heartbreaking things, some unbelievable things that when when you've created a space and a context and an understanding that, you know what, it's I'm a safe person to talk to. Nothing is going to leave this these four walls. You yeah. can tell me anything. I'm yeah. just here to, to listen. People would, I mean, I'm sure many people have almost never felt that or maybe haven't felt that that sense of safety uh, and ability to be vulnerable in years or ever in their life yeah that sometimes that's true and uh, sometimes there's a need now but there's a, a kind of testing it's not going to happen the first cup of coffee right um it's kind of like let's just check out this alan you know what he's got <laughs> yeah. and, what's he uh, all about and then maybe a few weeks later there's another opportunity and and so because I think trust grows with relationship, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't come because this person's got a title or a job position. Right? Absolutely. So it comes. And yeah, there's uh, amazing stories. Um, and some of them are very sad. And um, sometimes I have to find a way of debriefing myself from them. Mm. But always I'm amazed at people's courage and just damn hang in thereness that's what i call it you know <laughs> i'm gonna hang in through it yeah and stick to it yeah stick to itness i i guess resilience the formal word um and to see that like i i really think there's a thing that i can call human spirit mm. and it gets broken a lot of times uh, whether that's poverty or grief or war or whatever but it happens in our own lives and relationships that go sideways or something yeah. somebody Some type does of trauma. something and sometimes it's it's not what anyone else would call a trauma it's just that someone in there at home now stops acting the way they wanted or had said something or did something that's very hurtful or something so that there's a lot of of pain that goes on mm -hmm. but people hang in there and and uh, that part really fascinates me and, yeah you know um that we've we've got it and it needs to be nourished i think it sometimes i'd like to believe it doesn't die 
but I think sometimes it does. But it can. Yeah. But it's kind of one of the things, it's the, it's the thing that really sets us apart in creation, right? Is this, that, that human spirit that even some, even a, a creature like a dog or a, an animal that you look at as being very intelligent and, and even emotional, you know, um, there's a reason we use the puppy dog eyes expression <laughs> yeah. for a reason. Yeah. There's, there's so much emotion there in, in yeah. some animals, but yet, um, you know, an animal, something happens to it that, you know, some, another animal comes and takes its food away or something. It doesn't all of a sudden need to go to the, the doggy support group and work <laughs> out its issues. It just kind of moves on. Like animals yeah. don't have that same, the, uh, they don't have that same tendency to sort of take emotional traumas that have happened and store them physically yeah. in their bodies and just carry it for forever until it's dealt with. Yeah. But we, because we have these massive brains and, and the ability to, uh, to think so much more complexly about things. And we, we have that, that sensitive human spirit, we can be hurt and we can take on those traumas and, and then yeah. carry them in, in the tension in our neck or in the irritable bowel syndrome that we have yeah. or whatever, however it manifests itself. Yeah. And it can be so healing, I think, to, uh, to work through those issues or to, to even just the sharing of those stories, like you said, yeah. can help to release some of those, those traumas. Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, I, I said earlier, well, it doesn't look like a big trauma, but trauma is trauma. And it the body doesn't depends, always know the difference. The doesn't know the difference. And what might have traumatized you doesn't traumatize me, but it did you. So there's always that, you know, um, perspective. Mm -hmm. It depends where you are. So, yeah, um, it happens and it can can seriously damage us or it can be something that you know it's really time to let go of yeah but it's become part of who we are and it's defined who we are and it's kind of comfortable to have that problem you know <laughs> yeah. um but i think at the heart of it when i'm listening to a stop people need to feel connected to something good it's like basha united church um the worship is good. Robin puts a lot of time into it. But the fellowship or the community part of it, mm. I think, is what brings people in and keeps people there. Um, and some of that is happening through things that aren't even, have nothing to do with the Sunday morning service. That's right. At which Robin is the first person to yeah. to say that. You know, he, we're kind of a seven-day-a-week yeah. church and a lot of the stuff that we do that isn't even under the banner of this is a United Church event or program, yeah. it's the way that that space creates a safe haven or a um, just an environment where, it, whether it's through the community theater group or yeah. uh, an event that's going on or a yoga class in the basement or whatever it might be, that people kind of have come, in our community anyway, have come to think of that place as a, uh, just as a safe, safe place, place to be that's welcoming yeah. and i mean our kids think of it as their second home <laughs> yeah and they run around and doesn't matter there yeah. are some churches where that wouldn't matter yeah well the basha theater for me is a great example um watching people but then having been involved twice how that crew it sure the actors and the, I mean, the cast, but also the stage crew and, yeah. and the directors become community through that, mm -hmm. that event. Mm -hmm. And there was a turning point for me at one point. Um, it was <laughs> during the Hunchback of Notre Dame. And there was, I was involved in singing a duet. And I just could not get this right I couldn't get the timing right and I couldn't get the higher notes right and I'm singing with somebody else and then I'm always with the script and then this one day I thought okay um, no Alan just leave the script behind Go do it and I nailed it hmm. 
And everybody said that. They said, let's stop. We weren't acting anymore. They just stopped. They said, right on, Alan. <laughs> and there was that affirmation. I th two things going. No judgment. No criticism. Because you weren't getting it. You didn't mm. have it right. And affirmation when you got it. You know? Yeah. But that would have helped you to take that risk or to take yeah, that leap. Hey? Exactly. Leave the safety net on the pew and put the put the script away. Yeah. And, and I'm sure you do the same thing in your pastoral care too, where that's what it is. Yeah. You go off script in a yeah. sense and just be there with the person. That's it. And and I think that key piece of the listening is that it's non judgmental. Hmm. It doesn't matter. I mean, I might think what you've done is not really good in the pastoral context that is absolutely nothing there to deal with so when right. i was talking about the the women that had been abused later i get one of the husbands coming in to talk so we have to have a conversation oh, and i had to so get hard. over the thing you know you you son of a you miserable you know, yeah. and get through that and without compromising anything yeah. So how do you set that aside? Because, I mean, even if you go into it knowing intellectually, like, okay, this is not going to go well if I have any kind of hang-up about this person being a, quote, good person or bad person, yeah. which, I mean, I think our theological views are similar enough that I can speak for both of us in saying that they're, we're all good people. Yeah. <laughs> like, they're, people do awful things. Yeah. But, uh, like, I love how Robin's always saying, and you, that, you know, our default nature is good. And so even that that abusive husband, you know, they're, they've maybe done some, some very painful things and caused a lot of hurt. There's something somewhere along the way that happened to that human being where, you know, he was a baby once <laughs> and he was an innocent <laughs> yeah. little infant. And then, you know, so now you're dealing with this grown man who's made some, some poor choices and has... Uh, some cycles of behavior that are that are not healthy, but it's still got to be difficult to to view that person as you know what you are a child of God and I'm just gonna come into this with love for you and listen. But when you know the things that yeah. they've done, that's got to yeah. be hard. It is. It really is. And and in that particular case, I had to draw some very clear boundaries. Yeah. Because quite clearly, he was moving me into seeing that maybe he wasn't so wrong and that maybe she okay. had caused some of it and I had to draw some boundaries you know now we're moving into an area of conversation i can't go um, mm. and so there was a limit to what we could do but that he could sit down and we could get out the coffee quite literally and talk about that to to do that without judging him and saying well i'm not going to give you coffee <laughs> you don't deserve right. it started a conversation i didn't see him again but i know that he then went to an anger management group oh good was there a connection i don't know but he f found a place to go to so yeah yeah he was an sob but he he was still a child of god who had to get there that's an extreme but people often feel like, you don't want to hear my story. Yeah, you don't want to be bothered with this. I'm taking up your time. Mm. Right. Sorry. And just, no, I'm listening to your story. It doesn't matter, you know. Yeah. If you don't think it's very important or very deep, that's okay. I'll listen to it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you got my time. You know, just, that's okay. And then it's not surprising that pieces come out. Things start to surface. are. Important. Yeah. Well, maybe they're not used to have someone having, just giving that intentional, um, giving of their time intentionally like that. Yeah. Because, I mean, really, all we have is time. So for me to give you some of my time, what what more valuable thing can, yeah. I, can I give you as a gift? Yeah. To say, like, you know, I'm going to make this about you. This time is yours now. Talk to me about whatever you want. Like, that's a, that's a big gift. Yeah. That's very yeah. generous to do that. And it's always hard because <laughs> the reverends and the male reverends want to solve the problem. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And Heather, this is what you need to do. Yeah. And Bob, Here's this what is you're what not I getting. think you're not getting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you how it is. Yeah. And that's 
no, it's not about me. It's not what I know. Mm. At some point, it's time to bring that in. At some point, it's time to share a little bit of my story since stories are the connecting point. But always it's, this is what you need at this point. It's not that I need you to hear my story. Right. You need that affirmation that I can tell you this piece of it. Yeah. Um, or I don't need to be the one who says, you know, I've got it right. You need to see a yeah. counselor. Yeah. It's no, it's not about whether I've done the right thing there. Yeah, you need someone who can give you what I can't. Sure. So, you know, so it's this tricky boundary that it's always hard to walk. And when uh, you have a perfect hat. Well, it's, it's, you're practicing, right? Yeah. It's you always like uh, the practice of yoga or the practice of meditation or the practice of, uh, of living out your Christian faith it, they're all a practice because it's not yeah. it's not a mountain that you reach the top of and you think okay well that's done yeah <laughs> no it's yeah it's continual it's yeah and it's also that's why i come back to it's something that anyone can do um it's not it's not just well you can do it if you want to it's just there it's with the intention like it doesn't you don't need to be a trained minister mm. to provide pastoral care. You need to be a trained psychologist to provide psychological understanding and work with that person's subconscious. Right. You need to be a medical doctor or a nurse to deal with that particular form of cancer or whatever. Um, but that business of listening without judgment and willing to give a little bit of time um, and to do it in the sense of this is what you need, I'm giving you know that's okay i think people are skilled at that i think it goes on at uh, coffee places in town quite often oh for sure it might only be five minutes worth and then they're talking about all kinds of other things yeah or it may be more and it that young adult group and i you know the theater group um, people have some difficulties and People are there with them. Yeah. So I don't think it's something you have to become a minister to do. I think as ministers we get trained to take that to another level to understand mm -hmm. the dynamics a bit more. You become especially equipped for it. Yeah. But you, uh, like specifically equipped for it. But it's not a requisite necessarily. No. But given that fluid nature of it, it must be a really difficult thing to... Like if you stopped uh, at the end of a week and thought, well, how much pastoral care did I did I provide to the community this week? Well, you might only look back and think, well, yeah, I did this visit to the lodge and I did this visit to that that home visit, and and think about those as because they were a specific trip to go and yeah. see someone and maybe they've requested it, but it's also the bumping into somebody at the post office and asking about how their family's doing since a loss or. And yeah. a struggle or, you know, like you said, co having coffee with someone or lunch with someone and, and maybe a few minutes of that conversation kind of started to bleed into that pastoral care territory. And the rest of it was talking about something trivial. Yeah. So it's, it is very fluid. It's yeah. not something that you track the way a lawyer tracks their billable hours down to the 10th <laughs> of a, you know what I mean? It's yeah. so, but for you, and maybe this is kind of a, a natural place to wind up the conversation, how do you sort of measure, yeah, I'm, I'm, doing, I'm doing what I want to be doing and I'm, I'm doing enough of it, or I'm doing, I'm, you know, that, that's personal and professional satisfaction and it's not something that there's metrics for, maybe, but you, as anyone would want to, you'd want to know that, yep, I'm having that impact that I want to have and feeling good about yeah. the work that I'm doing. <laughs> I never know for sure. That must be hard. Um, so part of it is, I don't, well, yeah. The conversation we had, because um, when we were being trained in pastoral care, we used to have to write these verbatim reports. We did field training, you'd go out, and visit somebody, I got to visit Joni Mitchell's parents. 
Really? Yeah. <laughs> and there's a picture all over the place. <laughs> and it was hard to focus on the real task. Um, <laughs> but we'd go out and do these pastoral visits. And then we'd have to come in and we'd have to write a verbatim report. It happened at this time, this place. She said, I, I said, I did, she did. She offered coffee, I, you know, whatever, and said this and said that. And we'd have to write those things up and then learn the, the person we had leading us would, of course, review and make comments, but would sit down and say, so what did you do right here? And what could you do better next visit? Hmm. So that, I guess that's kind of ingrained. So I'm pleased, I'm happy if I come back thinking, yeah, um, I did these things right. And when I see that person again or another person, maybe I'll do this instead. Right. Um, or try to do that a little differently or a little better. Sure. So there's always that. <clears throat> another piece of it, because I just love to hear people's stories. And here especially, um, because it's mostly that generation of seniors that I work with, stories of early farming years and growing up uh, through difficult times and on the prairies and and uh, what community used to be like and all of that kind of stuff are, for me just fascinating so wow. I'll come home and I think you know I actually learned this and this um, not only about the person but about their circumstances okay then I did some listening um, some whether I got what was most important I don't always know. Sometimes I think, yeah, that was the important piece. Um, it's not so much about the history with their parents moving up from Minnesota to farming in, in Alberta after the, the drought. It was the loss of her identity with her father and difficulties that, okay, now I get something. So I'll, I'll come back and I think, yeah, there was something there. I was fascinated at the pioneer experience, mm. but there was something about her I got. Yeah. It's like you're studying a novel, and they're, but it's the real person's life, and they're telling it to you firsthand. Yeah, yeah. And, and a lot of that is when I'm reading the novel, I have to put it, be careful because the English professor is still back there. But when I'm reading a novel, I'm reading it and really liking the story or not liking the story. Um, and then it's afterwards I start to want to go back and know something more about the character or the plot. Or whatever. So yeah. to your question, I'm never fully sure. Yeah. And one of the things when I was working at Camrose, I mean, we have this acreage, right? So there's a large lawn that has to get cut. And uh, so... I would get out on my ride around, you know, and when it's all done, I would stand on the deck and look at that and I'd go, I got that done. That actually looks pretty good. Yeah. And I realized that was a rest, that was a recovery thing for me, because working with people, I could never stand on the deck and think, I got it done. Yeah. I, ne I never got it fixed, so if I don't get it fixed, oh, yeah. I can't tell. And well, just that sense of completion, because when is when is that work ever complete? Yeah. Or you know, when do you like you said, when do you step back and look at uh, look at the fruits of my labors? Yeah. I've I've built this this yeah. shed, or I've built this this dock out into the water, and I can yeah. go use it now, and it's functional, and it's there, it's tangible. Yeah. But there are the the fruits of of that work that you're doing are going to show up in that person's life that you may never hear about and it might right. be over the next you know decades yeah. yes. but knowing that you've 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 made it maybe nudged things along or, or had that little impact that only god maybe will ever know about so, yeah i don't go home thinking oh my i don't know what i did there are times i think yeah i did something there and i could see the impact in that conversation um so sometimes you know that something's happened. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes you don't know whether it made a difference or not um, because people want to be listened to and they'll share of themselves, but you never get to see really inside the person, right? So you mm -hmm. don't know. 
Um, and sometimes you get feedback later, you know, like, oh, that was so great when you came and saw me in the hospital, blah, 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 blah. And then, you know, okay, I'm glad I did. Yeah. <laughs> and, but, well, if you, but if you don't get it, you kind of just have to be okay with yeah. that too, eh? And um, so th there's this little piece I learned actually from, uh, I never met him because it was through his book. He was a minister for the United Church of South India. And he wrote this, this book about ministry. It wasn't really just about pastoral care, but in a way it was. And he talked about um, what you do is you plant some seeds. You won't get the harvest. Right. So there was that piece. And then there's a guy called Bonhoeffer. Do you know Dietrich no. Bonhoeffer? Um, he was um, a Lutheran minister during the Second World War at a time when most of the Protestant Church and the Catholic Church supported Hitler one way or another. Wow. Um, and then there was this group called themselves Confessing Church that they were not going to put the Nazi flag in the church. They were not going to buy into the Aryan supremacy. Um, they were going to help Jews escape. They were going to support the mentally ill. Um, and he ran an underground seminary for them. He also got into a spot where he ended up being part of the conspiracy to take Hitler's life, which in the end cost him his own. Um, so he's he's writing this stuff in for the underground seminary for students who are risking coming. And he had this thing about preaching your sermon. And he said, yeah, you've got to do everything you can. You've got to study the scripture as best you can. You have to pray as best you can. You have to write it as best you can and use your skills. But in the end, it's not your word that's going to um, convince anybody. What happens, it's like a sacrament. God's going to take that word just like the bread and turn it into God's own word. And it'll be God's word that person hears. And that's stuck with me. If I can do the pastoral visit, the conversation at the post office, the conversation at the hospital bedside, as best I can, knowing it's never going to be perfect. Um, and part of that best is thinking, yeah, I messed up there. What do I do next time? Mm. If I can do it as best I can, then the rest is going to be, as I think of it, spirit. Mm -hmm. And if it has an impact on somebody, it'll be spirit that gets the credit. Um, mm -hmm. I love that. And, and I may not know that. And I don't know who this quote is from, but I, it's so fitting. It's people will forget what you said, but they won't forget what you made them feel. Yeah. Which kind of ties into that. It's, you know, in the aftermath, it, the real impact that you're going to have on those people and those interactions is. It's not about the exact words you used. It's just about how you made someone feel. And that is what will carry on. They'll remember that. Yeah. And if, if they felt something good about themselves, or if they feel a little more connected to the congregation or to God or to themselves or family, whatever, they feel that bit of connection that we all want, then that's, that's pastoral care done. <laughs> Beautiful. Well, Alan, this was a great pastoral care visit. Thank you for joining me and having a cup of coffee and sharing some of your story with me. Um, that's I'm honored to to hold the space for you to share some of that story so that we can share that with others. Well, it goes both ways because this has been a good conversation for me to rethink some of the things and look at some of the connections. Mm -hmm. So having that conversation, which is the last thing I'll say about pastoral care, it's always a two-way street. That's so true too. You hey? don't plan it to be, because then you're going to get in the wrong space. But it ends walk up out of there. Yeah. yeah. Oh, beautiful. Well, thank you again, Al. Thanks, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, everyone, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the podcast, please take a quick second to leave us a review or a rating on your favorite podcast app or leave a comment on our Facebook page. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this topic and also encourage you to check out past episodes of the show. I hope you can join us again soon. And until then, take care and be well. <laughs>